thrilled to come to this morning to Romans 12 and looking at verses 9 through 21 and picking up on this uh, incredible section. Oftentimes when we think about the truth of God's word, we're, we're kind of looking for the new discovery. We're looking for that new principle that comes out that we haven't heard or seen before and uh, excited by that new idea or the presentation of a truth and a new perspective that just opens up new uh, understanding for us. Um, but here in this section, Paul just takes us back to some fundamentals. He takes us back to the, the practices of love, the, the basics. And in, the, in these basics, he is demonstrating to us the riches of, of the work of love in the life of the church. We could consider these verses, 9 through 21, as marks of authenticity. What demonstrates the authentic Christian? the godly person who's walking in the Spirit. Just like you have a you know, $100 bill, there are all kinds of uh, various marks on that $100 bill to demonstrate its authenticity. There's security threads running through it and on special paper and micro-printing and, and differing coloring of uh, ink and on and on. You have all of these marks that distinguish that that bill is authentic. The same is true about the Christian There are marks of authenticity that demonstrates God's good work in a person and in their life. Paul, here in this section, lays out one upon another, distinguishing and setting apart the Christian as he um, lays out these exhortations to us. And he does it, again, in such a a gentle and kind way, not overwhelming us as he's giving these, these these principles, but just kind of laying them out for us. And last week we looked in verse 10, the beginning of verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It shows a natural affection for one another, a kind of familial affection, one, an affection that we would show to one another as genuine. And again, it was sweet in the Courageous Churchman Conference to go see brothers in the Lord, faithful servants around the church. And I ran into our dear brother, Darren Roberts, there. And Darren came up and gave me a hug. Well, I went in to give him a hug, but I got caught by his backpack. So it turned out to be like I gave him a side hug. You know, and he, he mocked me for giving him a side hug and not knowing how to hug. And I said, well, look, I have grown up. I can give a good hug, but I'm not used to hugging Dora the Explorer. All right? You know, you're wearing your backpack to a conference. I don't know what to do with this, so I can't get in and show you a genuine hug. But when you graduate school and you're done with the backpack, come to me and I'll give you a full-on brotherly affectionate hug. So it was sweet to, again, see our brothers to take this truth and apply it to the Christian life. And we recognize our love for one another is not manufactured. It's genuine. It's genuine because of our commitments to Christ, our our love for the truth, our our commitments to God's work among us and in His Spirit. It's genuine love. It's an innocent love, not a sensual love. It's It's a kind of love that is honest. It's not manipulative. It's not like Judas who came and kissed Christ in a form of manipulation to identify who He was so He could be arrested. No, our love is genuine thoughtful, it's innocent, it cares, it protects, it shows interest, does all the things necessary to demonstrate that you're of value to me. 
I love what God has, does, has done in your life, and I appreciate what he is doing and that he has brought us together as a kind of spiritual family to minister to one another, and this is normal. It's natural. So we saw that last week, and now we get to go to the part that I left off last week, and I've been thinking about it all week, so the rest of our time will be the second half of the verse. Give preference to one another in honor. Amazing Amazing principle laid out here. As I begin to think about this idea, I recognize we live in a culture today that just promotes self. It lifts self up. It it exalts self. Each person is told to seek their own glory, to, to look out for number one, because nobody else is going to do it. We live in a culture today that is everyone is seeking to promote themselves. Social media is, the whole idea is the promotion of what I'm doing today. You get to watch. If you looked at social media, I get to watch what person, what time they got up, what they look like when they get up, what they ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, where they got to go, who they got to be with all along, and I get one little snapshot of it all the time. It's the promotion of self. Carl Truman wrote a book on this entitled The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And in that book, he goes through that book demonstrating the sexual revolution and gender confusion that we see in culture today. And he points it back to this, the self and the exaltation of self. And in this, again, if you wanted to read a kind of intellectual modern history, it's a interesting read. Um, you won't read it fast, trust me. It's a large book, but insightful. And all of this led me to think about the kind of attitude that comes with the exalting of self. When somebody else gets exalted up, certain responses start to come out. It tends to be that one responds in jealousy. If one is lifted up, jealousy starts to come out. Why is that person getting more attention? They need to be brought down. Or it promotes, with the rise of self, it promotes insecurity. Well, if you're being appreciated and I'm not being appreciated equally, then maybe you don't value what I'm doing in this. There's an insecurity that starts to come out. Or with the rise of self and focus on others may promote fear. Fear that somebody might be getting more praise. Fear that somebody might take that to, to their head and become proud. Fears start to rule the heart. What it ends up producing is a kind of tone police that goes around and says, we've got to make sure that the praise that's being distributed is equal to all people so that we are treating everyone equally the same. You might have heard this in the kind of a syndrome called tall poppy syndrome. One author writing on this defining tall poppy syndrome described it like this. He says, it has been attributed to a number of English-speaking countries, particularly Australia, And they say, think of a a field of poppies. Part of what makes that field of poppies so beautiful is the uniformity. All the flowers are uniform, the same size, same color, same brilliance. And you can look out of the field of poppies and just see the complete uniformity of color and shape. And yet, one poppy stands up above the rest and takes the sight line off. And the author goes on to say, tall poppy syndrome is when people who have achieved too much success or acclaim are cut down by others. 
They may genuinely deserve their success, but it makes other people feel like they have overachieved, so they try to cut the tall poppy down. They disparage the person for their success, their good fortune, their good looks, their wealth, and I add, their ministry, their usefulness to God, or their spiritual gifts. Somebody who rises up too much has to be brought down to be equal with everyone else. This is the tall poppy syndrome. One, because of insecurity or jealousies, filled with certain ambitions or threats. One filled with fears has to make sure everyone looks the same so as not to have anyone stand out. This week, Dave Doran, in his, uh, this last week when the Courageous Churchman Conference, they had a, a breakout session with uh, Pastor Lance Quinn and Pastor Jerry and, and Dave Doran, and they were sitting there talking about the pastor and social media. And in uh, one of the comments, one talked about a pastor in social media being recognized, and all of a sudden a bunch of naysayers coming in and uh, criticizing that one person for whatever accomplishment. And Dave Doran made this observation in that. He says, you know, oftentimes what he observes is that people who are making the negative comments and critiquing in are caught up in a kind of hero worship. This one guy can't be praised too much so as to cast a shadow upon my hero, so I have to bring him down. I have to make sure, again, that each poppy gets in line. There is a kind of attitude that operates among people that says everybody has to be treated exactly the same, so we say nothing to anyone at all. I get it in the context of the church. I get it. I mean... We're informed by the scriptures. We are all servants of God. We're nothing significant. To use the language of Paul and 2 Corinthians, we are just clay pots, earthen vessels, used by God for whatever purpose he wants to accomplish. Indeed, all of that's true. And any gift we have, any usefulness we have in ministry, whatever that level of usefulness, all comes from God. He supplies it. He strengthens it. He granted us the faith. He gave us the wisdom. He provided the opportunity. Ephesians 2.10 says that. He set the good works before us that we should walk in. It's all his good hand moving and directing. Certainly, all that we do, all that we accomplish is because of God and what he is doing. But there is a kind of idea that is operated, a kind of idea that says if anyone is lifted up, we are actually going against the scriptures. We're going against a proper anthropology. That is, our doctrine of man teaches us that we're all sinful, that there's none righteous, not even one, that there's none good, there's none, there's no good in us at all, there's nothing good that could come from us. So what value would it be then for us to praise anybody if, after all, we are totally depraved? How is it that we would say anything good about somebody because wouldn't that just be a lie I mean, after all, the person is corrupt. God alone is perfect, and God alone gives. It's a kind of fear that our systematic theology places us in, or we can't even do good things anymore because we're afraid we might contradict the Scriptures. Well, let me assure you what the Scripture says about showing honor, because that's exactly where this text takes us. We are to show honor. And it's not just to God, 
but to one another. We're to show honor one to another. And this is a common theme throughout the scriptures. And this is what we'll spend our time on this morning looking through. We have it right here in Romans 12.10. Give preference to one another in honor. Turn over to chapter 13 and look at verse 7. Chapter 13 and verse 7, Paul picks up. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear. Notice, honor to whom honor. Show honor, and it's directed to people in this context. This is directing our honor to authorities, to those who are in governmental authorities, positions of, of ruling. And we are to render to each person what is due them, even honor to whom honor is due. These are human beings are the object here. And Paul continues on this theme. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We see this theme in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. 1 Corinthians 12, 22 and 23. Paul here is directing, or 23 and 24, Paul here is directing our thoughts to how we are to view spiritual gifts. And particularly the operation of the spiritual gifts within the body. And you had the showy gifts, the prominent gifts, and then you had the less prominent gifts. Well, how are we to view the less prominent gifts? Well, he tells us in verse 23 and 24 of 1 Corinthians 12, he says this. And those members of the body, which we deem as less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become more, much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks. Again, notice to whom the honor is directed. The honor is directed to an individual with spiritual gifts. What kind of gifts? Well, these were the lesser gifts, not the showy gifts, not the gifts of healing, not the gifts of tongue, but the gifts of of administration, the gifts of service. Whatever lesser gift, this one we receive receives honor, an individual. It's not directed to God here. It's directed towards an individual who's faithfully using their spiritual gifts. Turn over to First Timothy, chapter five. You see this again. This one is now a elder, leader, ruling in the church. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 17. Paul says it like this. Let the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Here is the emphasis of recognizing one who is in a position of authority, operating. They are to be considered worthy of double honor. Again, the emphasis is on an individual. This is a person who is in a particular role, carrying out that role. They receive honor. In fact, double honor. Turn over to chapter 6 and verse 1. Here's another angle in which Paul talks about showing honor to people. Verse 1, all who are under the yoke as slaves, notice, are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. 
so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. So that in this case, Paul is saying anyone who is under submission is to show honor to the one who is in authority. If you were a slave, in this case, you were to show honor to your master. This is required. This continues on. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. This is a, another emphasis here, and this is to show honor to the person who is preparing himself to do the Lord's work. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21 says this, Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel, notice, for honor. Tmei. Sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. The idea is that somebody who's committing himself to doing the Lord's work is setting himself apart that he would be receiving honor. Honor is sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Again, the object here are people who are receiving honor. Governmental authorities receive honor. Those who exercise their spiritual gifts receive honor. Those who are leading receive honor. Those who are in authority receive honor. Those who are preparing themselves for ministry work receive honor. And then turn over to 1 Peter 3 in verse 7. 1 Peter 3. Peter giving instruction to husbands says here in 1 Peter 3 in verse 7, he says this. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Notice, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Husbands, honor your wives as those who are fellow heirs of the grace of life. Those who are deserving of this honor for their position in their in God's redemptive work and accomplishments. Regularly, the scripture is clear that we regularly show other people objects of our honor and praise for what is being accomplished in their life. Let me show you one more time. Turn over to Acts chapter 28. One more example. Before we get into kind of diagnose then what is this honor just want you to see then the scripture's theme that people are regularly recipients of honor received. Acts chapter 28, you have the Paul having just come through his shipwreck. He's on the island of Malta. While on the island of Malta, he is ministering to those in the shipwreck and he's ministering to the people during that time. Snake comes, bites him in the hand. They think you're going to die, Paul. They're waiting for him to die. They're sitting around watching, waiting for his death there. And he doesn't die. He continues in a, uh, on to be healthy. So then they start saying, this is a God. You know, they, they're swinging the pendulum the other way. Well, Paul leaves, he heads into a neighboring city or neighboring town, and he starts to heal people in that town. And as he heals, it comes up, verse 9, and after this had happened, 
the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. Everyone is overwhelmed. They're diseased, they're sick, or being cared for. Now, verse 10. They also honored us. How? With many marks of respect. They came and honored not just Paul for what he had accomplished in this healing, but they came and honored us, the traveling party with Paul, which would have included Luke, who wrote this book, and others. They all received honor, and they all received it in this way, with many marks of respect, verbal affirmations, ways in which they were affirmed for what they were doing in their midst. You say, well, Paul, you're just a man. Why are you receiving these affirmations? You're just a man. All of it is of God. All of it is of his power. All of it is of his work. Well, that certainly didn't stop what was taking place. God affirmed them, recognized them. Paul could have at this moment stopped and said, Look, have you read my letters? I'm the chief of sinners. Have you read what I've written about my sinful tendencies? Have you read what I have written in the rest of the scriptures? He could have said any of those things to affirm his condition. He did none of that. Listen, God is not dishonored when Paul receives honor for doing a good work or his traveling party has received a good work, good word. And God is not threatened when one of his servants is useful to his work and God raises that one up. God is certainly not at risk of being eclipsed when we show honor to one another. God is not dishonored when a faithful pastor is affirmed for his good works. And God is not dishonored when somebody says, I commit myself to that work and I'm setting myself apart to do that work. God is not dishonored when you recognize that. He is honored. God is not dishonored when a husband says to his wife, Praise God for the, that you are a child of God and that you are a fellow heir in the grace of life. God is not dishonored in any of that. Let me ask you this. If you're the kind of person who has fear showing honor to somebody else because you're afraid that that might eclipse you know, the glory of God, let me ask you this. If I light a candle, is the sun threatened? If I turn on a light during the day, Is the sun now threatened that you have outshone the sun? Of course not. It's not at all. We understand this. God is not so small as to be threatened by our activities. It is God who supplied the grace, God who gave us the opportunity, God who is at work within us. It is God receiving the praise as his servants are walking in faith and love and obedience. God is not harmed. He is magnified. And the question would be, well, how would you know that? Well, right back here to Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. How would I know that? Because he commands us to outdo one another in honor. Go before at Romans 10 and Romans 12, 10. Give preference to one another in honor. It's not so small that he is threatened by giving praise to others. So what is this honor then? What is it we're talking about? We're saying, all right, that uh, 
We are to go before and show honor. What is this honor? Well, this is here in Romans 12.10. This is Paul's fifth exhortation to us. The go before is a present active, so it is the regular, continually working at showing honor to one another. And what Paul gives us, or what we can find from the usage in the rest of the New Testament, is four different qualities to this honor. Four different ways or aspects that would demonstrate honor. In this verse, we are exhorted, encouraged to be regularly at the practice of showing honor to one another. Some translations have it as the idea of going forth, leading the way, being the one who is out front in doing the honor, showing honor. We're not pushing ourselves up, we're pushing others up, we're lifting them up. We're affirming one another, we're supporting one another. We prefer others' success, we prefer their spiritual good, we can identify that spiritual good when it's taking place in people. That's the word here, tamay. The word tamay is the word translated as honor. And it means this, just as one lexicon says, it means basically the worth ascribed to a person or the value ascribed to a particular thing. It's a value, it's esteem, it's honor. All of this is the idea. This word, as I said, is used often in the New Testament. In fact, 42 different times in the New Testament this uh, word is used. And I've gone to all of them for you. And, uh, and as I said, we can kind of categorize them in four ways. Four ways that this word works. So how do we show honor? Well, here's the first way. In recognizing value. The first way we show honor and we fulfill this verse is that we recognize value. That's, the exp- that's what is expressed here. And value can be uh, identified in a lot of different ways. Value can, can describe somebody's usefulness or something's usefulness. Or value can describe something's worth. Or even value can describe something's significance. So when we observe value, we're observing its usefulness, its worth, or its significance. When I think about usefulness, for example, I drove my car from my house to the church here. It was very valuable this morning. Not because it had a great worth, but because it had usefulness. I mean, I could have walked that whole way and would not be getting here right about this time, missing the whole first hour. Had great value. So to speak in one sense of my car and saying that it is honorable, I'm saying this vehicle has great value to me. Turn over to Colossians 2, because this is how that word is used in this sense. In Colossians 2, it's used in a sense of value. Colossians 2 And that uh, from verse 16 and following of Colossians chapter 2, Paul lists out a series of man-made religions. And he shows the emptiness of them, the one who trusts in kind of customs and religious traditions or or somebody who is uh, turning to asceticism, that is kind of a, a legalism. Uh, that has no value. And somebody who, again, is... Um, turning to mystical things that they hear from angels or other sources. He says, none of these things are useful in your religious life. He says in verse 23, he kind of summarizes all of them in verse 23. He says this, 
These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no time, value, honor against fleshly indulgence. The word value there is our word, time. It has no value, it has no honor, it has no ability to accomplish what it's promising. So in one sense then, when we are showing honor, we are acknowledging the usefulness, the value that something has. What is useful, what is valuable, is the gospel of God. That brings power to overcome. And then he goes on and describes it from 3, 1 and following. He describes the work of the gospel and our setting our minds on the things above, etc. Here then, value is recognizing something's usefulness, Something's worth, or somebody's worth, somebody's significance. We look to honor people by showing their significance, their usefulness in the ministry, in the work of God, what God has accomplished. When we particularly think about this word in light of the Christian context, we are looking at God's, the way that God is making somebody useful or or helpful in accomplishing his purposes. I love this. Because God is regularly magnified in the ministry of the church. I mean, I was just thinking about this. Just thinking about the church on Sunday morning. Somebody walks in from their car. First thing they do, they see a greeter right in the front. Greeter there to give them a bulletin, smile, give them a handshake, maybe a hug, interact with them, point them to where they need to go, help answer any questions that they might have. And a person comes in and they might have children. The children are taken over to the nursery. And the nursery person cares for the children for an hour, giving a parent a whole vacation for an hour and a half. For some ladies, that's like a lifetime of just peace for a moment. And then sitting there, as they care for your kids lovingly, you get the freedom to come listen to the word of God and sing without distraction. Then you have Sunday school teachers who are teaching the kids. You have the soundboard guy who is making sound uh, able to be heard. And I was just thinking about Spurgeon who had a requirement in his you know, pastor's college. To be in the pastor's college, you had to have this you know, robust chest so you can proclaim. And I was thinking, I, just, I wouldn't get into Spurgeon's college. I needed a PA system to make it possible so that I can be a minister of the gospel. Praise God, I got saved at this time period. Not then. Of course, the sound person operates undetected until there's feedback, and then everyone turns around and looks at him. You have fellowship groups where the church in this bigger size breaks down to smaller groups and people get to meet one another and you have a pastor there teaching the word of God and shepherding and leading in discussion. You have home Bible studies with teachers leading in home Bible studies, praying for one another and engaging in fellowship. You have the bulwark ministry with people walking around with uh, legal devices to keep everyone safe. You have them guarding the, the parking lot and Guarding the church, you have the administrators providing bulletins. You have those who are putting up posters so that you know what's coming next. Then you have the people who make coffee so that everyone will stay awake on Sunday morning. As you're here, if, you don't, if you've never seen the coffee ministry, go to a fellowship group and then you'll experience it. And of course, you have the music team, the announcement people, singing, 
songs, the prayer, and the ministry of the word. And all of that's just Sunday morning. All of those pieces, all of those pieces working and operating seamlessly together is demonstrating a comfortable, enjoyable, peaceful interaction to come sit under God's word, be shaped by his spirit, and to grow into spiritual maturity. And this is of great value to God's work. Value, then, is drawing attention to the significant usefulness that one has in God accomplishing his good work. It's okay to recognize one's value, one's worth, one's usefulness in the accomplishing of God's kingdom activities. That's the first use of the term honor here. But the second is this. second use of this term honor is the idea of protecting purity. Protecting purity. Or we could say like this, is the idea to show honor is to protect somebody's integrity. It is to speak in such a way that that person's integrity is protected. That's a, that person's purity is protected. And so you can see it on two ways. I'm not going to do anything to dishonor you, that is to lead you into impurity. And we ought to speak in such a way that preserves and protects one's integrity. That is honor. To be holy and to call people into holiness is to, to protect purity and to show honor. And it's very easy to trample this kind of idea. And it's actually very common for people to trample this idea today. Because it, it works like this. Well, I've heard one pastor is proud, so all pastors are proud. So I project then that all pastors are guilty because I've seen this one pastor who was guilty of it. One is corrupt, then they all must be corrupt. That is dishonoring. Honor is to preserve and to protect. It protects the purity of somebody, the, the integrity of somebody. To show honor speaks in such a way that I'm going to preserve and protect them in my communication. I'm not going to cast a, a negative light on them. I'm not going to call a motive into question. I'm not going to speak in such a way that projects an evil upon them. I'm not going to operate in such a way that would entice them to do something wrong. All of that would be dishonoring. So we honor one another by encouraging and protecting one another's purity and integrity. How would I know this? We'll turn over to 1 Thessalonians 4 because that's how the word is used in that context. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul speaks of this way. Again, I love this particular idea that I show honor saying I'm, I'm not going to entice you to evil and I'm not even going to project evil upon you. So that as to protect their integrity and purity, I keep them in a position of honorable. First Thessalonians 4, 1 through 4, here's what Paul says. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I'm going to stop right there. Paul is saying, you, I give you this instruction I know you're faithful. I know you're striving. You've been faithful all the time, but I want to just remind you of this. And what is it? Here's the will of God, your purity. You abstain from immorality. Now notice, 
that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. It's our same word, smay there. In this sense, again, it is the idea that we are preserving and protecting purity, integrity. We operate in such a way, not only internally, this obviously here in this context is our own personal work of our own conduct and operating in a way according to the will of God that we show honor by walking in a sanctified life. The same idea is how I express to others. I speak to others in such a way as to protect their integrity and their purity. I interact with them. I don't speak evil. Don't project evil. Don't project an evil motive. Don't project upon them something that uh, I'm skeptical of and filled with fear about. I operate in such a way as to preserve and protect them. And we don't operate in such a way as to entice one to do evil. We don't call them into corruption. Recently, I saw this in the White House. There was a, a woman who had gone to the White House and was arrested because she went onto the White House property topless. I was like, this is the very principle you're dishonoring right here. You did not honor the office. You didn't honor the location. You didn't honor the place. You went in there to project your whatever freedoms you wanted to demonstrate, and you brought dishonor. And this is the principle violated. You fail to recognize that honor preserves and protects integrity and purity. Thirdly, this is the most probably common expression when we think of honor. Honor is the giving of praise. To honor is to give praise. This is to speak in such a way as to give affirmation, verbal affirmation. Praise is verbal. It is the speaking out. It is, it's expressive. It is communicated. It is, again, an immaterial expression of gratitude and devotion. This word, again, tmei, is used in this sense and regularly is used in this sense in reference to God. Turn over to 1 Timothy 1 and verse 17. Just a couple of pages. 1 Timothy 1, 17. Paul says this, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the word. To May, he is to receive praise, honor, affirmation for his character. He is the eternal and immortal and invisible. He's the only God. Jump down to chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6. He, Paul even concludes the book in verses 15 and 16 which he, God, will bring about at the proper time. He who is the blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, to whom no man has seen or can see. And then notice, to him be honor, to may, and glory, and eternal dominion. God receives honor, receives praise, receives our adorations. You go on to Revelation 5.13, speaking of God who is worthy to receive honor and praise. He is, in Revelation 7.12, God alone, who you know, honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. 
And again, these are passages all reflected to God, but I also remind you that's exactly what came to Paul and his travel companions in Acts chapter 28 and verse 10. They received honor and they honored us with many marks of respect. They spoke praise. What we had done, what we had accomplished, what we did in their midst, how we ministered to them, that was acknowledged verbally in praise. There's one more use of the word honor. And this is the, the way we refer to his honor as esteeming one's position. Honor by affirming or esteeming their position. This would be the last quality of honor that is used. We honor our leaders. We honor those in authority, like a servant honoring his master, like children honoring the authority of their parents, children honoring the authority of teachers, citizens honor the authority of the government they are under, church honors the authority of their leaders, Christians honor the authority of Christ to rule over us. There is an acknowledgement of the esteemed position one has. This is the idea of honor, to recognize the position may even be that you have somebody in that position who is reprehensible in their life. Nonetheless, there's an honor of the position. To show you this, turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. We see this in Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, verses 5 through 7. The Hebrew writer sets it up like this. For he, speaking of God did not subject angels to the world to come, concerning which we were speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you should remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? Notice, you have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor to me. Man is in this position of honor. This is his esteemed role, his esteemed position within creation. Certainly not because he deserves it. Certainly not because he was perfect. Certainly not because he had some good thing within him, some values, because God has set his design on man to demonstrate through man what he wants to accomplish. Obviously, because this is how Christ has come in the form of a man that he would operate here in that glorious form. We esteem the position. Just like in the context of Romans chapter 13 and verse 7, just as you have government authorities, we are to those governing authorities to give tax to whom taxes do, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Because they are in the position that we esteem because God created that position. God established it. So let me summarize it like this for us and kind of concluding words for us. How do we understand Romans 12.10? Go before, be devoted to one another in honor. We are to outdo, to go before demonstrating actively honor. How do we do this? Well, we honor one another by seeking to express our appreciation, the value that each one brings to the body of Christ. 
We value one another's gifts, sacrifices, service, commitments, dedication. And this is the thing that gets me most is various uh, individuals speaking about the ministry here saying, well, it's just an unloving group. I say, what do you mean? I have not seen anything but active love and care, praying for one another, ministering to one another. You got, we have an app regularly where people express their burdens and immediately afterwards you'll see down the line praying for you. Can I come visit you? Can I bring you something? What is that if that's not honor and love outpouring actively, appreciating service of one another, appreciating giftedness? We honor by expressing to one another our joy and appreciation for how you are used to build up the church. And we honor one another by protecting one another's purity and integrity. Protected by not enticing you to do evil and protected by not casting you in a negative light. Protect your integrity, your purity. And we honor one another by giving praise to what is accomplished. So when you do well, we affirm and support and affirm that great work because it's God at work in you and through you to accomplish his good purposes. Yes, you did it. Yes, he ordained it from eternity past. Both are true and both I affirm in every moment. And we affirm and honor one another by esteeming their particular role and usefulness in the body of Christ. We're not the same. There's differences, but we honor the different roles and responsibilities. This is what it looks like to show value in the church. We affirm, we, or show honor in the church. We affirm value, guard purity, give praise, and esteem highly. That's how the church is to operate. Now, if you give me one more minute, let me give it a negative here. That was all positive. It's all positive support. Let me give a, a negative side. Someone might say, you know, in one sense, okay, I'm giving out praise, but that person isn't receiving it. I'm kind of deflecting it. I mean, I'm trying to give praise. I'm trying to support. I'm trying to build them up, and they're, they're just deflecting it and, and, re, and making it all awkward for me to give praise. And again, let's say this. One has to receive honor in a gracious way. And one might say, well, look, I just, I just don't want to lose my crown in heaven. I don't want one of those jewels taken out of my crown. I'm just waiting for my eternal reward to come, so I don't want praise from this person. Well, first of all, I would just mention this. Is your God so stingy as to take away something if somebody else was obedient to the Scripture? If somebody else is going to the Word of God and he comes in Romans 12.10 and he sees that he is to go out and actively show honor and to go forth and show honor so as an act of obedience on his part, he is going to speak to others and affirm their value, affirm their worth, protect their purity, to honor their position and role. You think God's up there taking treasures away? Oh, you, you got too many praises. I'll take it back. No, God is generous, and that was the first part of his payment, was the recognition of obedient Christians being faithful to the Scripture and giving you praise, and then he's going to add upon it because that's how generous our God is. It's how loving he is to pour out. We say, well, he might, he, might, uh, uh, he might be doing it for praise. Well, listen, my praise isn't going to change that. If a man is doing that for praise, guess what? Even if no one said anything, his heart's still guilty. My giving praise in the moment didn't make him guilty. It was already in his heart whether I said it or not. I am just acting in obedience to the scriptures to give to God's people what God calls us to give. 
give freely. So we have to learn to receive honor in a generous, gracious, humble way. Because after all, in some sense, we are acting like God in that God receives honor and praise and he's not proud to receive it. And we are called as his children to walk in his footsteps. Whatever God chooses to give affirmation for, we can do it in a righteous way. Well, that's Romans 12, 10, B. We'll pick up 11 next week. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for these truths. Thank you for the ministry of your word to us and the testimony. For indeed, for something that is, that is um, just few Greek words given to us express such a profound wisdom and insight or indeed, the body of Christ is known as affirming, supporting, and lifting up. Oh, how the culture of the church would change if we were actively caring for, such, for one another to praise and encourage and affirm one another. Man would not be running hopelessly to the world's affections, for they have more than enough in the love demonstrated in the family of God. For indeed, protect our church and protect our families as we love one another in the way that you have designed so that we're not attracted to worldliness. We have all that we need supplied to us and the riches of your grace right here in the body of Christ. We're comforted by the wisdom of your word and we are encouraged by your truth. So as we leave, Father, again, help us to appreciate your good work in every individual knowing that as each one functions according to your eternal plan and obedience to the faith, we are built up and strengthened. We want to do nothing to discourage that. We want to feed that so that you are always on display. Thank you for ministering to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.